morning. My name is Rob Daniels, and welcome to Visions and Sound. Now, for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number four of 2024, and show number 1214, if you're keeping track that way. This week, we continue into 2024 with a look at the Blade Runner saga. So now, joining me this week is, uh, on this week's show rather, is my girlfriend and co-host, Tamara Ravencroft. Tamara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Well, Blade Runner, of course, is a 1982 science fiction film directed by Ridley Scott and written by Hampton Hampton Fancher and David Peoples. Starring Harrison Ford, Rudger Hauer, Sean Young, and Edward James Olmos, it is a loose adaptation of Philip K. Dick's 1968 novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, a book I've never read at this point. The film is set in a dystopian future of Los Angeles in 2019, which, oddly enough, is now in the past, in which synthetic humans, known as replicants, are bioengineered by the powerful Tyrell Corporation to work on space colonies. When a fugitive group of advanced replicants, led by Roy, ba- Roy Batty, played by Rudger Hauer, escapes back to Earth, burnt-out cop, or Blade Runner in this case, Rick Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, reluctantly agrees to hunt them down. Now, the movie itself was ahead of its time with groundbreaking special effects and also had raised some very interesting questions about the nature of humanity and that sort of thing. Now, one of the the things that we we noticed and talked about rather regularly, and we actually had a debate, a little bit of a debate last night as to whether or not replicants are actually alive. And so now, and, and we had to kind of I would come at it, well, what is the definition of life? So, Tamara, what is your, your take on all of this? Uh, when it comes to the definition of life, I would, are we talking about life itself? Yes, we're talking about the, 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 the basics of, of what makes... How, how would you say, like, okay, there's... Maybe I'll use the example of the episode of, uh, of, the next, of Star Trek The Next Generation called The Measure of a Man, where Picard turns at one point and says, prove I'm alive. So what is the basic um, signposts that say... The foundations. Foundations of of what makes someone alive. Well, I would basically quantify it down to being, if you reach a certain level of intelligence, Mm -hmm. if you reach a level that you can procreate, if you can reach a level of uh, sustenance by your own self... Uh, if you have the ability to create, if you have the ability to learn, okay. uh, if you have language, these quantify really intelligence. Now, life is all around us, whether it's yes. insectoid life, whether it's mammal life, which we are mammals, mm-hmm. or whether it's extraterrestrial life. Life is life, but we're dealing with the situation how it compares to humans. If it's, if it's human life and how we judge what is life, right. then you're dealing with the situation does synth droids or synthetic artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. like Joy, for example, in Blade Runner 2049, yeah, we'll get into is that. she considered life? Hmm. So you're dealing with the situation, whether it's we created through 
biomechanical means like androids right. or whether we create it through artificial means like algorithms and computers. Okay. So then that raises the question as to, um, I mean, you got, you, you, you basically stepped into the idea of, of, uh, of stuff like Siri and stuff like, um, um, uh, the, the Google, uh, the Google of, of, of equivalent to that. Alexa. Alexa. That's it. So the question becomes, when does, when does, in this case, the replicants. Now, the replicants have a short lifespan, at least in this, in, in the first, the first Blade Runner film. So the question then becomes, are they considered alive or are they just considered um, robots or what like i mean the definition the the um they do not obviously do not follow the um the asimov's rule uh robot rules but it's so what does i think when it comes to asimov's rules they need to be revised mm -hmm. they are a product of its time when they did not anticipate intelligence on it computerized scale or on a situation that it can replicate humans yeah. to such a degree. But are replicants robots? No, I would say they're pro they're not robots. They no. are bioengineered um, human analogs. Human, yeah, human analogs. But are they alive? That yes. would be the... Okay. I would say that they're alive. It's just that it's a different, different definition of what is alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be debated if, if we had aliens visiting our planet, would they say mm -hmm. we're alive because we don't match their definition? That's true. There's a, a game that's that's out there that's called uh, Rama, and it's uh, it's it's interesting. It's an Arthur C. Clarke uh, written book. It's not Rendezvous with Rama. It's it's a it's 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 a it's Rama, and um, the aliens that are there are do not necessarily fall within. Well, let's let's just use the the, the Star Trek example: bipedal, um, with bumps on their forehead, two eyes, uh, you know, two arms, that kind of thing. They don't fall into that category of alien life. So, again, um, I guess what we what we would have to do is when we look at the at Blade Runner and the replicants, it changes what the definition of life is. Yes, and it forces us to understand the fact is just as we evolve, so too does our technology, which we create, evolve, mm -hmm. and it involves us in indirect ways. This is going to be an issue that I believe will affect us at a future time. Mm -hmm. When we create such masterpieces of technology that they either embody what we are, excel better than what we are, or reach at a reach us at a par level, in which there would be no distinction other than one's bio bio organic, and the other one is biomechanical. Mm -hmm. There's still life. One comes from the other. Mm -hmm. But I don't think as as humans at this point, we are up to that. Yeah, not uh, yet. definition yet. No, what I mean is is that just. F from a, a mature a, a mature species, I don't think we're quite ready to make that that leap to uh, to the biomechanical just yet to not, call it to call it life. Yet. but eventually our technology will require us to make big decisions upon what we make and what we create. Mm -hmm. 
Now, one of the biggest questions that, that at least at the time, was the idea as to whether or not Deckard was an actual replicant. And there are little hints dropped throughout the film that I think the original intent, Ridley Scott's original intent, was to say, uh, uh, it was to put that doubt in people's minds. They teased us. Exactly. There was, a, there was not meant to be a, an, a definitive answer. Because, I mean, at the end, and I don't want to ruin, I mean, it's, 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 it's been since, if you haven't seen the movie in, uh, from, it, it came out in 1982. So if you haven't seen the movie by now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw a, bit, a few spoilers in here. The idea of the fact that at the end, um, Gaff, who's played by, uh, Edward James almost leaves a unicorn origami outside of Deckard's apartment when he goes to get Rachel. Now, there is something within the final cut and the director's cut of the film that was added by Scott, and that was a unicorn dream sequence. And so the question then becomes, how does how does Gaff know about the, the unicorn dreams? Or, or, or how does he know about the unicorn? Or is it just coincidence? I doubt it. Um, but again, it raises the question, and is is it a question that we were that that we're meant to to answer? I don't think so. I think it's more or less along the lines of you come up with your own um, what you think it what how you think it it's supposed to be. I don't think there is supposed to be a final answer. Although I think I've read somewhere that actually um, Ridley Scott has said. There are. This is the definitive answer, and I, and I'll let people discover it on their own as to what the definitive answer is, is as to whether or not Deckard is a replicant, and and that's and that sort of thing. So, and we'll get into this when we talk about uh, 2049, and as to whether or not that question is answered in the sequel. But uh, but yeah. So I guess the definitive uh, the 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 final question is. Are replicants alive? The question, the answer would be yes. Is it right that they were that that world of of uh, of Blade Runner was exploiting them and basically as they as as uh, was 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 put in the in the film retirement? They don't call it murder; they called it retirement. Creative license, exactly. Syntax. Just yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, the idea of, of just calling it another thing does not make it any different as to what you do in any case. So, yeah, that's 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 the questions that were raised by Blade Runner. And we saw Blade Runner recently. We were able to see it on a big screen and, and, mm-hmm. and see it at the Apollo Theater or the Apollo Cinema. So fantastic movie. It definitely needed to be seen on the big screen. It's it's one of those films, and and it's interesting films of that era. Um, I I recently saw, or a few, actually probably several months ago, we saw I saw with my friend Eric Woods, the um, Indiana Jones and the and the Temple of Doom. I was going to say the Fate of Atlantis, but no, that's a video game, the Temple of Doom, and it looks so much better on the big screen. And when I watching when watching Blade Runner, I felt the same thing. You were 
drawn into that world and it was meant to be seen on a larger screen and that's particularly at the Apollo cinema oh, for sure I mean I mean that's I originally when it came out I was not old enough to see it so I didn't end up seeing it on the big screen until almost the 25th anniversary of the direct when the director's cut came out so somewhere around the uh, the early 90s so yeah, I didn't see it on the big screen until then. So and and yeah, fantastic. Seeing it on the big screen is great. Now, let's get into uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into a bit more of discussion about um, the whole idea of there's something interesting that happens in 2049 that we'll, we'll when we get to it we'll we'll have a chance to discuss that. Right. In any case. The movie itself was ahead of its time with the uh, with groundbreaking special effects, as I mentioned. Initial reactions among film critics were mixed, and some wrote that the plot took a backseat to the film's special effects. The special effects are amazing, and did not fit the studio's marketing as an action-adventure film. Others still acclaimed that its complexity and and predicted it would stand the test of time. Now, negative criticism cited the slow pace. Uh, Sheila Benson from the Los Angeles Times called it a blade crawler. A, and Pat Berman of the uh, State and Columbia Record described it as science fiction pornography. Pauline Kael pra uh, praised Blade Runner as a worthy piece, or, uh, worthy of a place in film history for its distinct sci-fi vision and yet criticized the film's lack of development in human terms. Interesting to, to note that. Aries Magazine said, misunderstood by audiences and critics alike, it is by far the best science fiction film of the year. Now, the music for Blade Runner was written by the late, Van, uh, the late composer Vangelis and was supposed to get a release. An unofficial re-recording was done by the New American Orchestra and was, uh, for several years, the only score release for many, many years. Now, while there are a few cuts on a 1989 album called Themes, it was not until 1994 that an official Blade Runner score was released. Now, what we're going to look at, though, first is an interesting use of the of Vangelis' score. In this case, a video game company was able to use the Blade Runner theme by stating video game interpretation of the film score by Vangelis. Though it was allowed, I don't think you'd be able to get away with that today. No. So here, from the Commodore 64 era, this is music from the Commodore 64 version of Blade Runner, back in a bit. Thank you. 
And with the uh, interpretation, video game interpretation of the film score by Vangelis, that's music from a Commodore 64 game that an unofficial Commodore 64 game that came out in 1983 or 82 or 83, somewhere around there that uh, kind of played fast and loose, I think, with the theme in any case. So welcome back to Visions and Sound. Up now this week is the score from the 1982 film, in this case, with a slight twist. I'll be playing music from a BSX release from 2012. In this case, it is a faithful re-recording of the Vangelis score. Uh, it, the um, I've played the uh, uh, the New American Orchestra. It's a very interesting. Um, this is not the New American Orchestra, by the way. But the, but I've played the New American Orchestra score on the show, and if you haven't heard it, it's a very, very interesting. They really, really tried. It was very, very close, but not quite. But like I said, for a while, it was the only thing out there. So this is on BSX Records, and enjoy. This is music from the 1982 score to Blade Runner.
And with a little bit of music from the 1982 film Blade Runner, that's music, of course, by Vangelis, the late, great Vangelis. So if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I'm on the Twitter at Visions Sound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca, where the show will appear in uh, approximately two hours' time. And you can also try me on a Good Pods, a downloadable app for your phone or other type devices. And you can also find me on many of the other podcatchers out there, including Apple Music. So welcome back to Visions and Sound, as this week we are looking at the Blade Runner saga. And joining me on the show this week is the lovely and talented Tamara Ravencroft. Tamara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Cool. So next up on the show this week is music from a 1997 video game, Blade Runner. This is a point-and-click adventure game developed by Westwood Studios and published by Virgin Interactive for Microsoft Windows, released in November of 1997. Now, the game is not a direct adaptation of the Ridley Scott film, but instead a sidequel telling an original story which runs parallel to the film's plot, occasionally intersecting with it. Now, the game has an, the added, had the added pressure of being the most expensive game created at that time, which means it had which meant it had to be the most successful game of all time it also pioneered an early use of a, a term that i had was unfamiliar until just recently called voxels now voxels are essentially three dimensional pixel images with depth now something very interesting about this is that there's some voice talent in this but one of the voice talents is a very interesting uh, person and and maybe you can uh, Tamara you can kind of explain as to who who the uh, the, the the voice talent is uh, kind of a kind of a, 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 a interesting I'll just say this I'll leave it at that and, and, and you can you can kind of let everybody know what's going on well the voice talent that uh, Rob is referring to is actress Polly Porette which you may know from the NCIS series as Abby Skulo who was the forensics investigator at NCI's headquarters. In the game, she plays Lucy Devlin, a 14-year-old employee at a pet store called Runsitter's Live Animals. And it's at the very beginning of this video game where she appears in, of course, video game characterization as as, uh, Lucy, where the store is overrun by replicants. It's a very interesting... I've, I've... Apparently, according to several people, the game is actually different every time you play it. So it has different, um, excuse me, different aspects of the game. So certain people are replicants, certain people are human, that sort of thing. There's there's just this whole notion that it's a, it's a constantly re a, a, a the replay value on the game, and which I do have actually. I was able to get it off of GOG. And it is, it's a very interesting game to play because it has, it has such a, uh, it's definitely of its era, but there's also this, this really interesting look to the game and it does, it does capture the Blade Runner feeling very, very well. So now the rights to the film's original soundtrack by Vangelis could not be secured for the game. 
so Westwood brought in their own in-house composer, Frank Kaplacki, to create new tracks based on the Vangelis score, and also to re-record some of the main tracks uh, from the film. As Kaplaki was not allowed to access the original master recordings, he had to recreate, this is fantastic, recreate the music by ear. So have a listen. Here is some music from the Blade Runner video game from 1997. Give me just a second here. And... Back in a bit.
I think a fantastic recreation by uh, Frank Kaplacki. That's music from the 1997 video game by Westwood Studios. And uh, it is available still on GOG. So pick it up if you are, in fact, interested. Because it is a rather interesting game. A different one every time you play it. So welcome back to Visions and Sound. As uh, This week we are looking at the Blade Runner saga. And, of course, joining me in the studio is the lovely and talented Tamara Ravencroft, who has a show called The Dark Side with Madam Ravencroft coming up at 3 a.m. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But, uh, yeah, um, welcome back to, as I said, to Visions and Sound. As this week, we're looking at Blade Runner Saga. And next up is the 2017 film Blade Runner 2049. This was a sequel that people, I think, were, were hoping for. And uh, so in this case, a young Blade Runner, K, discovered uh, of discovery of a long buried secret leads him to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. So now we're this we were going to get into a little bit of to continue our discussion beyond what we were talking about. If replicants were alive. Now, one of the things that they could not do, or at least that we that we know of in the first film was they couldn't reproduce. However, in the second movie, there is an implication that Rachel and Deckard have a child. And that's so at this point, again, replicants are, I think the Nexus or the Nexus eight at this point was uh, 2049. So it's interesting to note that, does this now give them rights and does this get, does this put them in the world of being alive? What do you think? Firmly. Okay. Firmly. Once you start giving birth, that makes we give birth, animals basically give birth, that's life. Okay. If you're able to replicate it without the intervention of another human being creating you, which is what the Nexus were, mm-hmm. they start creating themselves. That now makes their existence as well as their rights and to be able to be defined as possessing life and to give life, therefore. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah, the whole idea of, and again, one of the things that we talked about was the, the idea of re, of Deckard being a replicant. They still keep that vague in the, in 2049. I think they're, they really don't say whether or not, and I mean, again, um, and it was, and it's Denny Villeneuve that uh, that did this, uh, that did this particular film, and I am, I'm so happy. Oh, by the way, um, just a, a little quick side note on that: Dune Two or Dune Volume Two is coming out in March, so we'll have definitely have to definitely see that one for sure in the theaters. In any case, um, the music from he, from the film was actually composed by Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Walfish, and was released on the Epic Records label. So here is some music from Blade Runner. Oh, do we want to talk about Joy? Very briefly, before we actually get into the music. Very, very briefly. Joy is my very favorite character uh, in all the Blade Runner series. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of when they used her. It... I wish this is the if there's any technology out there in the Blade Runner universe, I would like to be able to see transformed 
in, into our modern time here. Mm-hmm. It would be the technology that involves joy or to be able to create an artificial intelligence that can interact with you at home or outside. That would be so great for a lot of people, particularly those who may have issues, who may be disabled, who may want to have somebody at home to be able to talk with. The technology behind Joy would be wonders for them or those who may have issues with uh, socializing issues. Mm-hmm. Joy would be, any, whether it's Joy or someone else, a male, uh, that would be a perfect technology. But I like the way they did Joy and how they did it with the actress, Anna D. Amars. Mm-hmm. She did a great job on that, on, on her interpretation of Joy. And seeing her adventures in the movie was so great. No, I, I thought it was. She was a very interesting character and had a really good. I think a, a good story arc with Kay. Yeah. So very much. They were matched. Exactly. Exactly. Well, like I said, the music here was written by Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Walfish, and was released on the Epic Records label. So here's some music from Blade Runner 2049 as we're looking at the Blade Runner saga.
And with a little bit of music from the 2017 film Blade Runner 2049, that's music by Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Walfish. Well, welcome back to Visions and Sound, as this week we are looking at the Blade Runner saga. Now, last up on this week's um, music, uh, this week's show is music from the animated series from 2021 called Blade Runner, Blade Runner Black Lotus. The, uh, the, the way it works is that it is Los Angeles 2032. This is a prequel. A young woman wakes up with no mere memories and possessing a deadly skills. The only clues to her mis- to her mystery are locked are a locked data device and a tattoo of a black lotus. Putting together the pieces, she must hunt down the people who are responsible for her brutal and bloody past to find out the truth of her lost identity. Now, the music here was written by Michael Hodges and Gerald Trotman. Now, you mentioned something. The woman that's doing the uh, um, the main title, Tamara, uh, she provides a voice in the, uh, in the I believe it's... Uh, Alyssa Cara. Alyssa Cara, yeah, which is, she's going to be performing uh, Feel You Now, which is the, uh, the, uh, the opening title theme from the show. And then we'll get into the music from uh, both Michael Hodges and Gerald Trotman. So here's some music from... Blade Runner, Black Lotus. This little light I found Take it in and breathe it out A little drum that's beating loud In my chest I hear the sound
and we will definitely revisit Blade Runner Black Lotus in the future. Uh, unfortunately, we ran out of time. The, the, the music is so good. In any case, that's all for us this week. Uh, as we head into 2024, I hope as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. Never let anybody tell you any different. If you're ever not feeling right, there are people out there that care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can, who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the huge support of the, a team of people behind me. And this includes my family and my friends, especially Robbie Sims and my girlfriend, Tamara Ravencroft. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, resources are available. In case of an emergency, please call 911 for immediate help. The Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868, 1-844-HERE-247 and here247.ca offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. Well, Tamara, you've got a show coming up at 3 o'clock. Let's, uh, what, uh, let everybody know what's going on. with uh, what, what is your show about, essentially? Well, my show is about goth music, dark wave music, post-punk, cold wave, neo-medieval, and even ethereal music is thrown in there. It goes from 3 to 5 a.m. every Saturday morning, and it is called The Dark Side with Madame Ravencroft, which is moi, <laughs> and it's also known as The Dark Side Gothic Radio Show uh, to some as well. And uh, yeah, it is about gothic music, anything dealing with goth music, anything dealing with the goth universe. Well, that is my forte, and that is my way of expressing it to everybody out there, including my darklings, squabblings who may be listening in, and to all the goths I love out there. Awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, join me next week as we continue into 2024 with a tribute to Norman Jewison. So I'll end off this week's show with, with in this case, music from the 1982 Blade Runner. And uh, I'll be back next week with more Visions in Sound. <laughs>